Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. This podcast is part of a partnership between TEDx St Kilda and 3CR Radio. I'm Squirrel Main, and in this podcast, we hear an interview with TEDx speaker Dr. Debbie Stewart-Fox from the University of Melbourne discussing animal evolution and colour. So I have to ask the obvious silly question. What's your favourite colour? Orange. Orange. I can say that without hesitation. It's been my favourite colour since I was in year seven. Okay, so you, you studied camouflage, infrared, everything you can imagine across the spectrum. What got you interested in this in the first place? It's hard to explain my attraction to lizards and colourful lizards. It's kind of inexplicable. You know, I've always been fascinated by lizards. I've liked them for a long time. And I guess, you know, from a scientific perspective, colour is such an obvious feature and it's so diverse. So everywhere you walk in nature, you see, um, you know, animals showing either incredible camouflage colours or really fab- fabulous display colours. And so I guess if you're interested in explaining that diversity, which I am as an evolutionary biologist, then colour's an obvious choice. So when you were year seven and loving the colour orange, were you interested in all of this or did that happen later on? No, that happened later. And, um, you know, I, I've liked lizards for a long time, but I never thought I could make a career out of studying them. So when I went to uni, I was like any other student. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, and I did science arts, which is about the most general thing you possibly can do. And I think the rest of my life has been chance and circumstance. How does science art lead to it's living in a, a tiny dome um, in South Africa? <laughs> so I guess it's it's fairly up to chance is why I say it's, it's chance and circumstance who you meet in your life and which um, professors at uni inspire you and so it was a particular professor at uni he just made me really interested in um, evolutionary biology and evolutionary genetics as well. and then one thing led to another so you know I kept studying I couldn't leave uni perpetual student for part of my um, uh, postgrad studies I was compiling a database of all these colorful lizards including chameleons and so I was poring over these pictures and I decided I've got to go and see them in the wild and so that's what led me to go and do a, a research fellowship in South Africa and study chameleons and um, that meant finding them and that meant living for a long time out of a tent. Literally living out of a tent. <laughs> yeah. Now, you put your hand up to show how high it was. Like, are we talking a, a metre and a half, teeny tiny little tent? Are we talking like a big army research centre? No, no, this was a little three-person tent and we had, you know, a, a car battery to run our equipment um, you know, which we'd we'd recharge off the car battery while it was running, so it was it was low tech and uh, and low budget and quite hard work. It meant working long nights almost every night. Nights, yes. So this is this is something that people always wonder about. Chameleons are of course active during the day; they sleep at night, but during the day they are so well camouflaged that you can't find them. But at night they happen to go very pale when they're asleep and they hang off the tips of little vines and on the ends of grass stalks so you can spot them with, um, with torchlight. 
So you can only find them when they're asleep. And the dwarf chameleons are, are very small, so they're only about a fully grown male is only about less than five centimetres long. So they fit in the palm of your hand. You must get the question of what's the practical use, what's the practical purpose of it all. And in your talk, you talk a bit about um, the medical bandage and you also talk about rooftop design. Can you tell us more about that? Yes. So, I mean, I'm interested in animal coloration for its own sake. You just want to look at the animals. You are into the pure science and not the applied. Why it works, you know, how it evolved, all of those kind of questions. But then in answering those kind of questions, um, that can inform other people who work in other areas, like it can inspire material scientists. Nature has inspired material scientists for for decades. They they make all sorts of structures that, and materials that, that resemble natural materials. So it's the same for animal colorations. Animals can change colour and that's a handy thing to do. There are all sorts of applications of colour changing materials in fat, not just colour changing bandages. Um, my favourite was yeah, tell me. yeah. My favourite was um, you can you can buy um, toilet training targets for little boys that you put um, above the toilet, and if they pee on it, it changes colour because of the heat. <laughs> or t-shirts that show the sweat patches on your arm. More seriously, one of the really interesting potential applications for colour changing materials in response to heat is to modify how much heat a surface ex- ex- um, absorbs. So, you know, dark colours absorb more energy, so they're hotter and light colours reflect more of that energy. So if we could create, say, roofing materials that changed colour in response to heat so they could absorb more energy when it's cold or reflect more energy when it's hot, that's basically saving saving energy. It's passive um, heating and cooling. Yeah, intelligent design. Intelligent design. And that's exactly what lizards do. Where do you see yourself, you know, 10 years, 20 years down the track with all of this? I've been doing research on animal coloration for a long time, but I'm going in all sorts of different directions and it's going in new directions that really excites me. So, for example, exploring invisible colour, the near infrared, which I talk about a lot in my talk, is something that has been a recent endeavour and that's really exciting. Uh, I'm looking at a colour and colour change at the genetic level um, and at the cellular level, so trying to identify the genes that underlie um, pigments in animals, um, whether they're the same as those that that um, control human pigmentation and looking at how the, the nanostructures within cells reflect and scatter light and then affect the, the, the colours that we see. So that can have potential applications. So I guess I see myself very much as an evolutionary biologist still in 10 years' time, but I hope that my research will have taken me in all sorts of different directions and and working with all these um, students, you know, they're coming up with new ideas all the time, they're passionate and... Um, And so things are always, you know, changing and it's inspiring. It's really rewarding. I love my job. You show the last slide saying there's something so beautiful. Can you tell us about that last slide? So it's actually um, a lizard from India. It has a massive throat fan. It's probably the largest throat fan relative to the size of the lizard, of any lizard. And it is iridescent blue, half of it, and bright red. And then it has some black patterns on it as well and it is so stunning you know even humans and human creativity couldn't have come up with it's only the 
it's only nature really that can come up with something so beautiful. I actually haven't seen the lizard in the wild, but it's on my bucket list. Another thing that was on my bucket list was to work on gliding lizards in um, Borneo, and I ticked that one off not long ago. So we were studying these little gliding lizards, so they have these um, extendable rib cages with um, basically skin between it, so they they glide from tree to tree. It's like a bat. They've got they've got wings essentially. And they're all through Southeast Asia, but and there's about 40 species. They're incredibly diverse, and they've got these colourful little thro- throat fans and colourful gliding membranes. And so we were studying whether the environment that they lived in influenced the colours that they used to display and also their camouflage colours. My PhD student, actually, Danielle Klomp, showed that their um, gliding membranes in these different habitats resembled the colours of the falling leaves. Almost perfect match. It was superb. What else is on your bucket list? Oh, a lot of my bucket list involves travel. You know, my husband and I want to go to the Ethiopian highlands. There are these isolated mountaintops with these unique snails on top of them and he studies snails, you see. So we we have our lizard snail. We would look for chameleons at night and we would look for snails during the day and thankfully they're both slow, so... <laughs> well, a big part of understanding colour is understanding what animals see and they see the world very differently from us. So that was that was kind of a big part of the talk. And is this um, something that you um, have researched or have had any of your PhD students researching? Yeah, so, so um, basically every time we want to understand a colour pattern, we have to try and model what it looks like to another animal and that means understanding quite a lot about animal vision and one of my PhD students has actually done all the you know eyeball dissections to characterize the vision in her particular lizard that's like six weeks in a dark room. What did all the cutting up of the eyeballs reveal? It confirmed that in this group of lizards they can see UV and that hadn't been confirmed before and that's really what we wanted to know because we thought that they could because they had a lot of, um, like their throat fan, for example, um, or throat colours actually had ultraviolet colours, so we thought they must be able to see it, but we hadn't looked at their you know, visual sensitivities. Sadly, you have to um, dissect out um, the eyes very, very soon after killing the lizard humanely and then you have to dissect out individual photoreceptors in the retina and shine different wavelengths of light onto those photoreceptors and see whether you know their their structure changes whether they respond to it Mm. is that a conflict for you um loving lizards so much and yet having to kill them to learn more yeah, the great majority of my research has been um, on lizards, both in the lab and in the field, but live lizards, because I'm very interested in their behaviour and um, how they use, you know, their different colourful signals to communicate. You know, the, the people who do research on animals generally love animals, so that's it's always a real conflict. I guess the main thing is that we don't want animals to suffer, and so if they animals that are abundant in the wild that have a short lifespan and we can learn a lot from them, then I can I can live with killing a few as long as it's done painlessly and humanely. And of course we are 
we all conform to very strict ethical procedures when we do research on animals. I mean, it's true, but it's just, it's a really big deal for a lot of people, you know, that the, the ethical aspect of working on animals, you know. No, that makes sense. And especially yeah. if you're drawn to it because you're passionate about the animals. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Appreciate it. You've just been listening to Dr. Debbie Stort-Fox from the University of Melbourne. Debbie was a speaker who took part in the March 2015 TEDx St. Kilda Talks. You can hear Debbie's TED Talk as well as the TED Talks of other great speakers at TEDxStKilda.com. This interview originally aired on 3CR Radio on the 27th of May 2015 and is part of a partnership between 3CR and TEDx St. Kilda. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.